0: Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "'Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord,'' Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided "'a scorching east wind, "'and the sun blazed on Jonah's head "'so that he grew faint. "'He wanted to die and said, "'It would be better for me to die than to live.' "'But God said to Jonah, "'Is it right for you to be angry about the plant?' "'It is,' he said, "'and I'm so angry I wish I were dead.' But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is God's word.
1: Do keep, uh, keep your Bibles open at Jonah 4, a funny little passage, uh, but much to teach us about God and about ourselves. So let's pray um, as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you that a story that um, uh, is very old and uh, seems very distant to us uh, has so much to teach us of your character and of our lack We pray that even as we look at this story, we would see more of Christ and his goodness, his compassion, that we would be changed and shaped by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you ever asked the question, why is God gracious, so gracious to people who don't deserve it? Why is God gracious to people who don't deserve it? I don't really mean in a, a sort of, you know, we're all sinners kind of way. We get that. But why is God gracious to people who really don't deserve it? Why does God keep giving good things to some people and not to others? Why is it that the, the slightly anno- annoying, almost obnoxious uh, person seems to have just sailed through life uh, all too easily, where the the lovely godly family seem to have wave after wave of, of hardship. Why is that? God's saving grace and um, that we proclaim, his forgiveness, um, is extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, really, do we mean that if, um, if, if a Nazi general uh, who committed horrific war crimes turned to Jesus, he'd be forgiven? We can think of, of more contemporary examples now, can't we, of generals committing war crimes, Are we really saying that if they turn to the Lord, he'll forgive them just because they ask? Is that right? Do we even want that? I wonder if you ever thought God's grace, sometimes it just seems too much. It seems too much. That, I think, is where we find Jonah in Jonah chapter 4. Um, If you know the rest of the story, the the more famous part of the story, you know that Jonah has experienced God's compassion. He had been disobedient. He had run away from God when God told him to go to Nineveh. He went in the opposite direction and God had sent a storm and he was thrown overboard. But God had been compassionate and gracious to him in providing this big fish to swallow him up uh, when he surely would have drowned. Chapter 2, Jonah had sung a song of praise, thanking God for that grace and compassion. God had given Jonah a second chance, said again, go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah was obedient and went. He proclaimed the Lord's message to the people of Nineveh, a message of warning. And amazingly, the, the people had listened and repented. They had turned to the Lord. But Jonah is not happy about it. And here we find him in Jonah 4. I think it, it almost certainly is the strangest chapter um, of the 4 in, in the book. It's not the ending that we expect. You don't get it in the, in the kids' videos. They don't, really, they don't really go to chapter 4. Uh, you don't, certainly don't get it in a kid's Bible even. It's just a bit weird. It's like a strange thing to happen. And yet I think it's here... And Because it exposes our own hearts. Jonah, in this chapter, he's not an example for us doing great things for God, but but he acts as a mirror where God holds up a mirror to our own hearts, our own lack so often of, of compassion on those who don't know him. God challenges Jonah's wrong attitude in this chapter and his lack of compassion, and in doing so, he challenges ours as well. God will say, look, I am not like you. I am gracious and compassionate. I am not ruled by, by prejudice. I am much more generous and gracious than you, and that is a good thing. That's what we're going to see uh, as we look through Jonah 4 this morning. We're going we're to break it up with, with, uh, by looking at Jonah's two exclamations um, extraordinary exclamations, really, that he'd rather die uh, than live. The, the, the two things we'll see: firstly, that Jonah says, "I'd rather die than see you love these people," and secondly, "I'd rather die than have you take away my comfort." Those are the headings uh, we'll we'll see as we go through. Firstly, then, "I'd rather die than see you love these people." Remember, Jonah has just seen the Ninevites repent and God relent from sending his judgment. But, verse one of chapter four, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. How does Jonah respond when he sees God being merciful, gracious to the Ninevites? He hates it. He absolutely cannot stand it. Literally, the, the verse says that that Jonah became evil. Jonah had seen God at God's mercy, turn the evil Ninevites from their evil, but his response is evil. And see, Jonah knows what God is like. He's known all along what God is like. Jonah knows his Bible. He knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. But he's not not saying that here as a as a note of praise, praising God, he's he's accusing God of being gracious and compassionate to these people. And it's more than that. It's it's not just a a theological truth that Jonah knows in his head. He has experienced it in his own life. When when God rescued him from the depths of the sea, he sang about it in in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He knows by personal experience that God is a God who saves. He had been obedient, he'd gone and proclaimed uh, God's message to Nineveh, but his old prejudices are still there. He's not a fully changed man just yet. He gets that, he he says, Yeah, Lord, you, you can save, but not them. Not those people. I know you've been gracious to me, Lord, but, but that was different. Not them. Why this lack of compassion on the Ninevites? Why does he hate the Ninevites so much, Jonah? We're, we're not told explicitly, but I, I guess we can, we can discern a couple of things. Firstly, the Ninevites, they weren't Israel. They weren't Israel. They were Gentiles. They were not part of God's chosen people. They were different, and sometimes just difference is enough for us to exclude people from God's grace. They weren't Israel, and they were wicked. They really were. They were, they were terrible. They, they were like the, the, the Taliban of their day, and the KGB. We, 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 if you were here last week, we looked at the book of Nahum, uh, where God, 100 years after Jonah, proclaims judgment again. Nineveh for their wickedness. And we saw there that all the world would rejoice when Nineveh was judged because everyone had felt their cruelty. They were a wicked people. Why should God have mercy on them just because they repent, just because they ask? That's Jonah's question, I guess, and God's answer, because that is who I am. That is who I am. God loves to show mercy to those who least deserve it, to anyone who would turn to him in repentance. That is fundamentally the, the truth right at the heart of the Christian message, isn't it? That God does not wait for us to fix ourselves and sort ourselves out, but he welcomes us in. He is merciful to us. He will not turn you away if you turn to him. Jonah knew that, at least in theory, but his response here is just anger, anger. He's, he's irrational and he's angry. He cannot bear it to the point where he says, I'd rather die than live. See, God is gracious and compassionate, but sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes it doesn't fit with our idea of how the world should work. And that is where this chapter holds up the mirror to our own hearts and exposes the, the ways in which we do a very similar thing. Now, look, we're probably not as blatant, are we, as Jonah. We're probably, you know, we're probably not saying, I hate those people, and I don't want any of them to know Jesus. We're not as blatant as that, but sometimes, if we're honest, the, the existing prejudices in our own heart do stop us from reaching out to those who are different uh, with the gospel. Maybe it means we don't pray in the same way for opportunities to share um, with those who are different from us. We stop believing that God could save someone like that. There's lots of ways, I guess, that, that, could, that could play out. Um, we, we, we're reluctant to share with someone from a different religious background, maybe our our Muslim neighbor or a a Hindu parent at the school gate. We we just hold back. It could be other things. It could be um, class divides. It could be, um, you know, I think I should only speak the gospel to those who have been to university. We would never say that, but sometimes that is how uh, we live. Maybe particularly relevant to this story, where we see people who have failed morally, you know, who are, who are blatantly uh, living uh, sinful lives. And we just think, well, maybe God shouldn't forgive them. Maybe God shouldn't have mercy on them. I w- wonder if you ever uh, if you ever hear of a, a prisoner, someone in prison becoming a Christian while they're there. I wonder when you hear that, is, is there ever just a little glimmer of of cynicism? Oh, really? That's that's quite convenient. Um, you know, I went, I went to prison and suddenly I became a different person. I don't know if um, many of you know the story of uh, Jonathan Aitkin. Um, it's, a bit, it's a bit old school now. Um, he, was a, he was a minister in Margaret Thatcher's government, whenever that was, late 80s, early 90s. He was a junior minister. And he, he was not a very nice man. He lied and lied about... Basically, he got put up in the Ritz in Paris by the Saudi government um, as a sort of favour... Because he was in the government, um, and when he got found out, he said, "Oh no, no, that wasn't true. And my wife paid for it. We were there, but but it wasn't a gift. It wasn't a, a bribe. My wife paid for it. That was a lie." He then sued the um, the newspaper who had published the story, um, exposing it, um, saying that was a, you know, no, I'm go- I'm going to sue you. Anyway, it all it all came crumbling down. It turned out he'd lied through his teeth the whole way along, and he was sent to prison. I mean, he was sentenced to eighteen months. Uh, in prison. It was, it was a big story um, at, the, at the time. Jonathan Aitken actually became a Christian while in prison. And once he got out, he he, he was very different. He actually got ordained um, at the same time as, as I did, whenever that was, four years ago. Um, he was ordained in the Church of England. Um, he works uh, with, a, with a prison chaplaincy, he goes into prisons um, every week now, uh, speaking of Jesus. And there was a really interesting article, um, I'm sorry I haven't got a copy of it uh, to show you, um, an interesting article I came across, an interview with him around the time of his ordination, uh, where the interviewer asked him, what, you know, what, what, what do you do when, um, when people uh, doubt your faith, when people say, well, well, you've just found God simply to rebuild your reputation? I quite liked his answer. He, he started by saying, I have a lot of sympathy for cynics who might say that. Indeed, I might have said that about somebody else. But then he says, look, look at two things, or here's two things. First, he says, I believe in an all-seeing, all-knowing God. And so if this is just a PR stunt, then I'm, I've done a very foolish thing if I think I can deceive the Almighty. That's the first thing he says. And secondly, he says, why don't you look at my life? He's not pretending he's got everything right, but he says, look at how I have changed And then he says this, if I am found wanting, then feel free to dismiss everything I say. But if you find that my life and faith do bear the test of time, then perhaps you might consider the implications of Christ and his gospel in your own life. There was a man who who had failed in every way morally, really. And yet was turned around, repented, is very honest and open about his feelings and says, yeah, I find forgiveness a new life in Christ. God is gracious to whoever he wants to be gracious to. And stories like that, um, stories like the Ninevites repenting, they show the scale and the greatness of God's grace. What better example of the power of God's grace than a whole city of wicked Ninevites turning and repenting? and yet we doubt it, don't we? We, we? we do exclude others from God's grace, intentionally or unintentionally. Maybe, again, maybe we're not, we're not quite as blatant as those earlier examples, but maybe it's when you, you hear about God's work um, in a different country or a different part of the country, and you think, instead of praising God and saying, thank you for that, you think, well, why doesn't God do that here? Why doesn't God wake people up to the truth of the gospel here in that way? Or maybe maybe you've been praying for a a member of your family for for many years, uh, not a Christian, praying that they would know something of Christ. And yet every conversation that you do manage to to have just seems to harden them even further in their unbelief. But then someone else has, has a story about about someone who became a Christian just like that the first time they ever heard about Jesus without the friend really sort of praying for them at all. It just seemed to happen. And I wonder if you ever wonder then, what are you doing, God? Why why have you done that? And I've been praying hard for, for this for so long. God is gracious and compassionate. And he is also sovereign. That's what the whole first half of Jonah really is about. God is sovereign. And so who are we to limit his grace? It is his uh, to show to whomever uh, he wills. But Jonah didn't like it. He said, I'd rather die than have you show compassion on these people. That's not quite the end of his story, though. He he, he has another um, another tantrum, really. Uh, Second point, I'd rather die than have you take away my comfort. God isn't, isn't willing to leave Jonah in his prejudice. He, he calls him out, verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone, du- gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. God, God wants an answer from Jonah. Jonah doesn't reply. He takes himself out of Nineveh. And I think we're meant to picture him sulking, Uh, on on a hillside, in a a quiet spot uh, where he gets a view of the the city, as he turns back and sees Nineveh still still seething with anger. He can probably still hear the sounds of of the Ninevites repenting and praising God for their salvation. And yet Jonah wants to be nowhere near it. Get me out of here. It seems that he's still hoping that God will change his mind, and bring destruction uh, on the city. And God could have left Jonah there, but the Lord has something else to teach Jonah. He's not done with Jonah yet. Verse six. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so it so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. God continues to show grace to to Jonah. He provides this plant uh, to ease his discomfort, to give him shade from the hot sun. And see, Jonah, who, who had been angry at God's mercy, is now very happy Suddenly, a little thing like a bit of shade, and he's happy. He's happy because God seems to be gracious to him. Plants don't just grow up overnight, uh, ordinarily like that. He knows it's a it's a thing, for, it's a gift from God to to ease his discomfort. He's happy about that. But God is simply exposing his double standard. For the Ninevites, Jonah wanted justice, not mercy. But for himself. Well, he wants mercy, not justice. And so when God takes it away, takes the plant away, and Jonah suffers in the sun and the scorching wind, he cries out, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God, God here is not punishing Jonah. He's exposing his heart. He's challenging him in order to change him. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He's persistent, Jonah. Even when even when God's asking the question, he's defiant. It is right for me to be angry. But here's the bite, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. See the contrast there between Jonah and God. Jonah, his concern is, is for this plant, this plant that he did not create, that he did not make grow and that was here and gone again in a day. But God, God created and formed every one of the Ninevites. Each and every one made in his image. He knows each and every one, each and every one so confused and caught in sin that they don't even know their right hand from their left. They're a sophisticated city, a prosperous city, and yet spiritually they were all over the place. God says, should I not have concern for this great city? And the obvious answer is, of course, the gracious and compassionate God should have compassion on people when they repent, when they turn back to him. And is exposed, isn't he? He cares more about his comfort, the things that impact him, than he does about a whole city of sinners. And he is very unlike God. He's angry when God is gracious. He's angry when God takes away his comfort. But he doesn't mind that a whole city would perish. And and we think, as, as Jonah sort of sits exposed on this hillside, we think, seriously, Jonah, what are you doing? And yet, so often, as we've already thought, we can be a bit like Jonah So let me ask this question. What are we most concerned for? What are we most concerned for? It's easy, isn't it, to to worry most about our own comfort, our concerns, the, the, the things that directly impact us, than to stop and think about the lost, those who don't yet know Jesus, particularly, I guess, if there are already barriers in the way, if people are already different to us so hard to not let those barriers get in the way. We just, we just sort of block it out. We don't think about all the people who don't know Jesus. We're not Jonah, and, and we don't live in Nineveh. But we have, if we're, if we're a Christian, we have been called to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And spiritually speaking, we live in a city that is even more lost than Nineveh was. The vast majority of of the people that that we're around every day haven't got a clue spiritually. They might be successful and wealthy, important, but God would say they don't know their right hand from their left. And the reality is, if if we're honest, I know this in my own heart, we're, we're so often too busy or too concerned with other things to, to notice, or to pray, or to, to seek opportunities to speak of Jesus. Okay, this isn't this isn't meant to, to guilt trip us. It's just meant to expose our hearts, I think. Of course, there are things that we need to do. There are things we need to do to live. But I think the question here is, what really drives us? What are we most excited about? What gives us real joy? Is it um, the rejoicing that comes when a sinner repents? Jesus tells us that there's a party in heaven every time a sinner repents. Is that what gives us real joy? I guess when we feel our lack, when we see all the ways in which we we don't do this, what's the good news? The good news is that that God is in the business of making us more like Jesus. He is changing us to to help us see people as He sees them, to have compassion on the lost. Just think about Jesus for a minute. Um, Jesus came, he said, to seek and save the lost. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He wept over the spiritually lost city of Jerusalem. And he ultimately gave up his life, not for just one type of person, but for everyone who would turn to him in repentance and faith. And he longs to show compassion on the people of London. And wonderfully, um, just like in, in Jonah's day, God could have just sent a message to and him of himself. He didn't need Jonah to do it. And yet, Jonah had the privilege, even if it was an unwanted privilege, of proclaiming that that message to them. And and similarly, we, who would call ourselves Christians, are called to reach out to people with this good news, to warn people, yes, of, of God's coming judgment, but also to proclaim that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, that in Jesus, he has done everything it takes to bring us back to him. So the question we're left with, I think, from Jonah 4 is, will we? Will we do our part? It's a strange ending, isn't it? Um, God finishes on this question. Should I not have mercy on these people and also it's a city of many animals? It's a sort of funny ending. We never hear uh, Jonah's response. We don't know what uh, Jonah did in response. Did he change? Did he understand the depths of God's mercy in a new way? Or was he less sulking in his anger, excluded from God's plans? So let me leave us with, with these. Will we um, get in line with what God is doing, with God's desire to show mercy to all people in London and, and well beyond Will we commit ourselves to to sharing this good news, not just with those who are like us, but maybe in particular with those who are different from us, whenever that opportunity arises? God is gracious and compassionate. He longs that people would turn back to him. Will we play our part in getting that message out, that God is a gracious, compassionate God who longs to welcome people in? Let's pray together for God's help to do that, <sighs> Heavenly Father. As as we see Jonah's heart exposed in Jonah four, his lack of compassion, his prejudice, Father, we can't help but but feel that in our own hearts too. Father, we we praise you f- that you are not like us, that you are indeed gracious and compassionate that you long that all would come to a knowledge of the truth, that they might repent and believe. And we praise you for the privilege. We thank you for the privilege of of being part of that as we share our lives and your word with with those around us. Father, please will we do that in a way that reflects the gospel itself, that does not put up barriers, that does not bow to to prejudice, but that freely speaks of you, knowing that you will be merciful To those who turn to you, we praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.